destroying the entire universe. Welcome to Radio Free Deimos, an Ixundraconis fan podcast broadcasting from Object 17 Voltaire Station. This episode is sponsored by Everything You Thought Nobody Knew About You, now available streaming or on Blu-ray. This is Radio Free Deimos, episode 55. Welcome to Spyglass. So, with me this week are my two co-hosts, Ashtar and Wines. YT could not make it. He jettisoned him into space again. And I am Corbeau. Uh, before we begin, I want to ask my hosts a little question in, in keeping with the theme. Did you ever feel like you were being watched? I mean, for me, like, not enough. That's why I started podcasting. And that didn't work out very well, honestly. Right. Yeah, I think, I think basically just one hopes that one's being watched. Because being a male hyena, you're kind of invisible. Fair enough. That's sad. I mean, unless somebody needs the end of a table propped up. <laughs> the watchers, they're everywhere. Are they watching you? Yes. Oh. Don't let them fool you. They're watching. They're always, Who, always watching. Who's watching The Watchers? Because it ran on HBO for like three seasons and nobody watched it. That's true. Yeah. But it wasn't very good, okay. to be fair. We've received messages from their spaceships. For a while, it came in as just a lot of jumbled noise. So our topic this week is Spyglass, and we'll start with kind of going into what that megacorporation is, uh, how you can work with it in your campaign, what it does for the campaign world, kind of like, why does it exist? Because I think that's a big question with Spyglass. And maybe after that, some conspiracy theories and alternate interpretations of Spyglass, which is a little bit redundant, I will allow. Uh, most of the conspiracy theories written up in the book are, oh, they lie. Or, oh, they, they tell the truth, which is both true and not really arguable, I think. So we'll get there eventually. They definitely have a place, and they definitely add to the fabric of the game. So but we'll get to touch on that later, I'm sure. Yeah, I definitely have a, a not-love-hate relationship with them. I've never really kind of gotten into this this particular megacorp. They just, I'm feeling better about them now that I've read through them on a fairly deep level. That helps. But you kind of started off with a, a better approach to them, emphasizing their, their memeness and kind of part of that aspect of the game, which I feel is less the case now. That I'm emphasizing it less or that they are less? Yeah, you just shut up and it was kind of nice. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Ouch. Uh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. That I think they're downplaying that kind of anonymous side of them. After Sound and Silence, I think they really broadened as a corporation. Less one note. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That. I mean, you can say that almost all the corporations, though. Mm -hmm. That's true. Set pulse. That's okay. Marketing people don't need two notes. That's true. They're really good at their one note. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Spyglass Origins. Uh, I, overall, I feel like there's less written about Spyglass than any of the other megacorps. Imagine that. It's true. So you have to kind of fill in the blanks a little bit. And actually, even kind of penning down the early history has been kind of tricky for me. 2.0 has fairly detailed, clearly within certain time ranges in brackets of when things started and when they stopped. And Spyglass is not really an exception. They seem to have started fairly early in the 200s, about the same time as Stellarum was kicking up. It was also shortly after the end of Genotype 
and likely sometime during the beginning of the plague years and the medical catastrophe, which may be one of the things that kind of spurred them on as an institution. We saw they kind of immediately went into investigating uh, the medical side of things with their spin-off progenitus. But it's hard to know exactly when they started. And there's a little hiccup in the histories and sacred documents of the game because while they likely started early in the 200s, assuming that all those notes in 2.0 are written in chronological order, uh, read the section on Mars, it's said that about five years after they launched as a corporation, they got a corp town on Venus, which was not terraformed until 400. So do with that what you will. It may be only a scribal error, or it may be a major note in their conspiracy. I don't really know. Probably obvious distraction. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, they could have gotten the land deeds to Venus at some point in the past. Um, Who knows? Cheap. Really cheap. (laughs) Really cheap. Um, I have some theories on how they might have swung that, though. I'm talking to that later. Do they involve time travel? No. Good. No, they involve being Mars Co. So they were founded as a covert espionage agency uh, early on that went public and pretty much immediately got the funding of most of the other major, major mega corporations, of which there were two, three at the time, because they wanted dirt on their rivals. Uh, it may also be this is a time when Marsco was really going up against ASR and Pulse and third one, Genotype. So they might have really needed that leverage because Marsco was still a fairly big corporation. I don't know. That's kind of, that's kind of how you spin your own cannon. But I do think that kind of the origins of the company are in the fallout of Genotype, where you saw a corporation really at its worst. They created a slave race and ignored their dictum to, is that the word? No, ignored their mandate to tend to the well-being and medical care of the, the vector's race. So it was a good time to kind of push off against a corporation. And again, who knows what kind of arguments Marsco and ASR were up to at the time, too. But at the time, they would have had a strong emphasis in kind of enforcing corporate honesty, because that would have been a... A good era for that. I think one fun take you could have on a uh, year 100 game involving Spyglass's origins is uh, maybe the mice themselves were kind of a, a major constituent in the first run of Spyglass employees because they would have been really interested in shattering walls and taking a stand against corporate stupidity. And they're cute, really cute. <laughs> no one really thought when Spyglass launched that there was a need for an anti-corporate force because, you know, everybody was pretty sure that their corporate masters were in fact benevolent and they were not living in a strange dystopia despite all recent events. When it became publicly known that Spyglass was receiving quite a lot of money from quite a lot of corporations, all of whom were very interested in buying dirt on their rivals, there was a lot of screaming and finger waving and some serious pearl clutching. Spyglass began with the early mission statement of kind of let's find dirt on the enemies and sell it. And then went to a more moral stand of we need to make sure that honesty and integrity are enforced on some level. And then pretty soon thereafter, they went to their real mission statement, which has always been uh, everybody's pretty darn scary. And we're not going to hide that. So we're going to be scary as well and make a profit. But we're going to be honest about it. Even now, it's still easy to imagine there might be a strong whistleblower culture in Spyglass and that some of their more honest, good-hearted employees are going to take a stand against corporate dishonesty. If nothing else, it's good PR, and it fits into their kind of weird social currency network that they that they work with. Doing good deeds and proving that the company's mission statement is, is valid and necessary, it looks good on paper. It mm-hmm. looks good in the publicity. So early on, Spyglass had a number of spin-offs. We don't really know how many. Progenitus was the biggest and best known and probably the only one that still survives. The secret. 
Hmm? Their secret. Well, that may be the case. Uh, they seem to be investigating a lot of industries. We don't really have a clue as to how many. Uh, Progenitus represented the investigation into the medical side of things, looking for the cover-ups there, and that went very well for them. Uh, there's no record of the other megacorps now, but we can kind of speculate. So now their current mission is to push for a truly open market, a f- sort of free market libertarian system that is stronger than the illusions the other corporations have put up. Uh, no lies, just blatant, cruel honesty. And that's that's their vision for the future. Such a bad thing. A closed door in a spyglass. <laughs> it's like called, these pants make your ass look big. <laughs> <laughs> There's kind of the running question of whether spyglass is actually honest or whether they're just assholes. And I don't think there's a solid answer there, nor is there necessarily a distinction. One kind of historical note I touched on earlier is uh, spyglass was likely one of the first groups to colonize Venus because they got a corp town licensed them possibly 100 years before Venus was terraformed. And so it seems likely that that's more or less their homeworld now, that they have some major corporate zone somewhere on that planet and it's a big planet with lots of places to get lost in lots of places to hide bodies so a good choice for them and um i should, should note that even before it's terraformed the terraformers have to live somewhere yeah that was kind of one of the things i was thinking is that there was going to be a transitional period and maybe those initial bases were ceded to them or something like that later mm-hmm. on it's not going to be a very nice place to live though because of all the like sulfur fog and the crappy restaurants that you can, can't really get to and there's yeah. absolutely terrible parking uh so it's great parking. All the cars just dissolve over the course of hours. I do that anyway. <laughs> so the overall kind of metaphor for spyglass seems to be uh, an unnavigable labyrinth. No matter where you look, they're kind of fractal and kind of opaque. Uh, we see that there are corp towns that are patched together from elements. And if you go into the buildings, there are corridors that don't necessarily go anywhere. Resources buried that nobody knows where they are. The corporation builds up and builds down. Neighboring megastructures don't necessarily communicate with each other or even have the same governmental structure or even like each other or even necessarily believe they're involved with the same corporation. Uh, The management floats overhead in massive uh, geodesic shapes and pyramids and cylinders and things like that and stays distantly involved in the people below. Spyglass ships are pretty much unmappable or at least unmapped. This is a survival tactic because trying to board them is an exercise in extreme frustration. And... They even have a, a currency system that's opaque to the outsider, based entirely on rumor and uh, positive community relations that just baffles people coming from the outside world. Hmm. It's, uh, everything seems to be deliberately veiled, and that's their running joke. Although it's not that much of a joke. If you want to know anything about Spyglass, you simply have to go talk to people in Spyglass. For the most part, they'll tell you exactly what's going on. Yeah, they're not going to give away sellable secrets, but they don't really have that much to conceal beyond that. I mean, what are you going to say? Yes, we're an organization full of blackmailers. Well, most of the information about Spyglass itself or the people who actually live there at a very local level are not going to be sellable secrets. Those are the types of things that at a neighborhood level or at a small community level are going to be very open. And that is kind of how Spyglass is built. The small neighborhoods, the small groups of people that form those community bonds at a very low level is kind of the organizational unit of Spyglass. And they might not know what the other cells are doing at any given time. Yeah, the idea of a cell structure is pretty pretty spot on, except that cells in an organization tend to have the same basic organization, which you don't get that in Spyglass. You just get cells from completely different organisms. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, 
No, I was using cells in the spy or the terrorist style organization. But that's one type of organization. Another organization that they tend to draw from is if you take away a lot of the social structure, if you take away a lot of the external constraints and external frameworks of a corporation or a managers and reportees or engineers and pilots and what have you, you have a bunch of people that are just kind of milling around. Mm-hmm. And people don't just mill around. They start to self-organize. And those organizations that they start bringing together, like you said, they don't necessarily have the same rules or the same structure. But you can draw a lot of parallels to what's happening in Spyglass with what happens on- online very often, uh, more modern yeah. day. Yeah. You get a bunch of people that move into, say, a new forum and pretty soon you have a bunch of smaller forums that start opening up. Each of those smaller forums will have their own moderators or admins. They'll have their own rules. They'll have their own standards of behavior. And there starts to become a certain amount of maybe not permanency, but at least uh, persistence around the people who go into some of these forums and contribute to the forums. And they start getting a certain amount of social recognition, social credit. So if you're really looking for the structure of Spyglass, uh, Building it off of, say, internet forums or message boards or such will probably give a, a fairly accurate organization to these type of things. And so there, there was an element of like government by social media going on in Spyglass, and what you said kind of reminded me that I, I wanted to like look at that for a bit. It seems like Spyglass is largely kind of a an anarchy that occasionally forms patterns, like random glumping tends to kind of like you said and that's there's likely a lot of that that like a a strongly a strongly framed area like a, a megastructure would likely develop its own tribe and its own structure and maybe its own government of some sort there are skyscrapers that are governed in monarchies in Seoul based on this uh, but a lot of their community norms and kind of what they expect from their government and their leaders are based on the kind of the gestalt of soul so in a way one of the strongest shaping one of the strongest elements that shapes spyglass society is going to be social media it's going to be bigger conversations that extend outside of your box or your your village because people communicate across the solar system and they have expectations based on what their friends expect at a maybe at a surface level at at one interpretation, maybe, because these are communication specialists. So not only do they own the communication and own the spy type or the sub-channel communications, they're also very aware of how easily that can be intercepted or listened in on. Yeah. So on one level, you have the highly advanced, fluid social media presence that people have above and beyond other vectors But then you also, at the same time, have people that are very aware that if you want something, if you want to have a real chat or communication or an interaction, you do it in person. It's definitely a culture that values face-to-face and interactions with individuals over, particularly over corporations and official organizations. Um, The strength of the individual is the health of the whole. But I think that in in Seoul, I think that everybody does have a vague idea of what the good life is that may vary somewhat but kind of like americanization spreads through all other nations um you're going to get marsco media you're going to see kind of if not how the other half lives kind of an, an idea of how you should live i think their ideas of life liberty and pursuit of happiness that everybody would want 
even if they believe that the other guy doesn't have them in the same way that they do. You can't really extract a spyglass community from the the rest of Seoul. It's just not possible, particularly since they live in broken up communities that are spread all over and not like giant corporations. Right. Uh, that does kind of bring up a challenge for them, though, is that uh, spyglass is a communication concern in some ways, but Marsco is the social media giant, and you can't really escape them. So more recent history, Spyglass's mission, and kind of also one of their reasons for existence, um, Spyglass's mission is to expose secrets and encourage transparency. That's one of the things they hold out, they hold out for. And they gain a lot of money by leveraging secrets. Uh, they have this kind of active paradox of we are in favor of honesty, but we need to have secrets that are worth selling. So we need to keep things concealed as well and then find the right time to reveal them to the public. So there's always kind of the threat of revealing to the public, and maybe they will, but in practice, a secret is much more valuable when it isn't shared, so that's kind of a, a little sticking point for them, maybe? Maybe. Maybe not. Some secrets are big and deserve to be broken, and some secrets are just trivial, but they could be worth something to the right person. Especially once you get down to a personal level or a very small team level, you can't, you can't go to the news with information on one person that's kind of stepping outside their role. Uh, you could go to some of their competitors with the same information and sell it off. I think some of the some of the side secrets and some of the trivial secrets that they're picking up are just being turned over as fodder trying to get to the big stuff, the juicy stuff. Mm. Well, one of the kind of ongoing silent war things that Pierce mentioned, I think before Sound and Silence was published, but then ties this directly to Spyglass, is kind of the arms race of um, like projectile weapons and why we don't use blasters. A lot of places where technology has been deliberately slowed down. Lightspeed is the biggest example of this, and that's been a question since first I was released, is where's the lightspeed vehicles? We have the answer to that now. So the idea, even back in First Ed, was that there was a lot of technology that had been developed and trashed or had been developed and sat on because nobody really wanted to set off the arms race of like, well, we can't use armor to defend against bullets now. So we're going to get blaster rifles and the rifle and we can't defend against those. So we'll have to get better armor and then everything spirals out of control. Or once light speed comes out, then the person that released it is going to have total financial dominance over everybody and what happens to all the rest of them, and things like that. So Spyglass has been leveraging a lot of these things because they don't want their own stealth to be broken. They don't want to have to develop advanced defenses against bullets. They would, they'd rather have a sort of technological mediocrity to work against. Up until Lumen, where they were not able to stop the light speed uh, from getting released from the genie's bottle, and a lot of people, quote, lost their jobs, unquote, when that happened. So the, the kind of the spyglass slowing things down is specifically called out in Sound and Silence as a part of their local economy. It's an interesting explanation. It, it struggles with the concept of scale, especially with the number of people and the number of corporations and the number of moving parts that anyone would be able to agree on anything, even with some external pressure to kind of keep something not just a secret, but just totally an unknown or to forget a line of um, development that was well on the way. Kind of sets off my shenanigans meters, too. Hmm. Just seems implausible. Yes, I can see that. Um, there's elements of soul that were built on literally a clock of like slow cultural development. 
Uh, and there are, have always been kind of weights kind of holding Soul's development back, and it's one of the reasons why it hasn't gotten too far beyond the magical technology of like year 100. But I can see what you're saying, that that it's difficult to imagine a large spread out corporation filled with peace uh, universe filled with PC type people uh-huh. where you can keep a secret for very long from, from purely a rules on the meta standpoint, it's as good as explanation as any, it makes sense. It's internally consistent and it allows us to play in a world with bullets and guns. So it's not super hyper lethal, but still be in a sci-fi world with teleportation and robots going to the big, microchip in the sky <laughs> oh and let's not forget the uh, transdimensional beings and magic implants it works it works very well for the setting and it helps explain that point but that might not want to be a cornerstone to base too much of a plan or a plot around yeah it, it may be it's more of a let's just explain why there's game balance type thing which right. you kind of need kind of, kind of hand waving yeah. the hand waving so frequently done in science fiction to make close combat exist at all. <laughs> and it is effective, because one of your other options would be one or two highly armored guys 100 feet away from an entire battalion of lightly armored guys with blasters shooting back and forth, and then jokes about how the troopers can't hit anything. Because at a certain point, there is no armor against blasters, there is no close range against blasters, you just stand back, hide behind something, and pull the trigger as fast as you can until you run out of charge, and... That's a pretty boring combat. I wonder if distant, far in the future, just as we're kind of nostalgic for back when armor was a thing and swords were a thing, someday people will be nostalgic to, remember back when you could just stand at long range and snipe at somebody? Yeah, those are the good days. <laughs> back but, when you actually had to see the person you're killing? Yeah, yeah. Well, back when you had to aim? <laughs> <laughs> we're on the threshold of being beyond that now. So other aspects of Spyglass's existence in the world and kind of what roles it fills. In a sense, it's kind of the good angel on, on the shoulder in, uh, in Seoul. I mean, for all that they're jerks, they are jerks that strongly force people to toe, toe certain moral lines because if they do X or Y, if they create a slave race, if they use people for financial batteries like the Matrix... Spyglass will gently pull them aside and say, we're going to tell everybody that you're wearing women's panties now, uh, or something along those lines. I mean, that's a good marketing copy. It's a, it's a big decentralized company, and it's going to be true on some level. It it's may going not to be, be true u- on some level. It may not be universally true. That's, that would be along the same route as they're the anonymous hacking the bad guys, releasing their secrets. But there's an entire army of anonymous what there was at one point and most of them were not hacking the bad guys and getting their secrets they were hacking anyone and everyone for the fun of it so at certain points in time sure you could point at them and go oh look they're the good angels now you could never really say that they were the good guys and you certainly couldn't depend on them but in a certain sense one of the things that spyglass makes money on is the fear of spyglass and part of that is that they are going to expose whatever you're doing uh, and if what you're doing is considered, quote, wrong, unquote, by, quote, society, unquote, that's something they would want to expose. Things have more value when it causes uh, shock and, and screaming and angry social media tweets. And so the secrets they can best sell against some of the megacorps are things that are show that they're not towing their corporate lines, that they're acting against the vector's best interests. 
So they may not be like neutral good in D&D terms or even chaotic good or even neutral, but their actions are their actions are going to kind of take the side of society in some, in many cases, take the side of the common good, which is how a lot of people define good. At least one would hope so. Well, when it's profitable. And of course, so far as the communication specialists are telling us about. There's a lot of othering of spyglass. Like they are, particularly in IRPF territory, obviously, they are seen as kind of the bad guy. Smelly acne ren basement dwellers. Yeah, totally, total little uh, Morlocks. Um, <laughs> but I think in the uh, short story before the Sound and Silence entry on them, they talk about a new guy visiting a spyglass town for the first time and like their corporate superiors told him to take a big gun because there's violence everywhere and everybody dies in the streets and there's blood duels here and there. And these are rumors that are spread about spyglass. And likewise, spyglass has a lot of just kind of fear-mongering internally about the dangers of being in a place which is controlled by paid-off police officers and where there's no accountability to anybody, only the corporations. None of these things are true, necessarily. All of them have a grain of truth. Yeah. I remember when I was kind of young and stupid and uh, worked in a church too long. And I, I had a number of discussions that became kind of loud where it was impossible for me to separate the idea of religion and ethics. And it was very difficult to believe that, I don't feel this way now, this is 20 years ago, but it was difficult to believe that atheists had morals in the same way that Christians had morals because Christians had a very clear set of received morals that they were written down. Whereas atheists, well, why would they believe anything? And you hear this trope a lot. Well, they're just, why would they care about anything? Why would pagans have anything to scare them into moral action because they don't have an angry, furry sky friend? In summary, you were wrong. Well, yeah. In summary, <laughs> I, was, I was wrong. And I think there's a lot of that kind of othering of spyglass in that people believe that without corporate rule, they are not accountable to anything. Okay, and much sure. in the same way, they're accountable to their neighbors. They're accountable to the world. Well, and Spyglass encourages that to a certain extent. Spyglass is the boogeyman. Be good, or Spyglass will sell your secrets. Be good, or Spyglass will expose you. They have stepped into that role and have kind of accepted it within Seoul and within the balance of power between the different corporations. Another role Spyglass holds is, is, and this is in a smaller way, I think, than what we just talked about, is their voice of kind of moral dissent. Um, they are the face of what is beyond corporate rule. And that's a major marketing plank for them. It's like, look at our freedoms. Look at what we can do without your shackles. I don't think that is a strong way to portray the entire company's actions or any individual, but it is one of their marketing planks. This is what responsibility and freedom look like together. Well, it is a pretty strong theme, and it's one that has been played upon in popular media, movies, and books a fair amount. When you have such an organized, planned, structured society, there will be individuals that do not fit, individuals that just are troublemakers, that, that are not happy and such. And while there are other planned corporate, megacorporate cultures that you can move to, Spyglass is kind of the ultimate pressure release. When you have people that simply do not fit in, you can leave and go to Spyglass and you will fit in because everyone else there is also just as wild or just as much of an outsider. I wonder if Paul, if uh, Spyglass gets a lot of the uh, Pulse refugees. There's a lot of, I think, similarity in them, between them, in their mindsets. Both are very hands-off corporations when it comes to their, how their citizens operate, although I think that 
pulses more like a demented 12-year-old torturing hamsters, and Spyglass is more like someone that just kind of forgets about their pets and <laughs> lets them die. <laughs> but it feels like there might be some connection between like a pulse person that escaped the competition web and Spyglass's level of freedom. Yeah, I don't, do not disagree with you there. I think they're two different sides of the individual exceptionalism coin. Oh, yeah. So on pulse, you're individually exceptional by a competition. You, you are the best that you can be in comparison to everyone else who's trying to be similar to you or is similar to you. Whereas in Spyglass, you are simply an individual and exceptional within that, and you're doing the best that you can do because Spyglass is not going to support you with that type of community. It's, it's a fundamentally different individual, individualistic mindset, I guess you could say. Hmm. That's, that's a good point. One, one problem that I think we kind of touched on earlier that I have with Spyglass is that there's sort of a level of gentleman's agreement built into everything that, that yes, you can set up your own independent government and it won't explode, that everybody is going to ultimately boil down to something that's not, that doesn't dive into murder and moral horror and, and disaster. It, it, it's kind of a denial of the tragedy of the commons in some way. It is, but it's, it's an expansion on corporatism Alternative corporatism, put it that way. Mm -hmm. Most of your corporations may have the corporate creed or the corporate mission statement or the vision or whatever, but end of the day, bottom line, they are after credits, they're a corporation, they exist to make money. That's, that's kind of corporatism in a nutshell. But what Spyglass has done is take corporatism and instead of the bottom line being the almighty dollar, the, the final arbiter of their values and their morals is that social currency. So by having that social currency, that provides the backbone that keeps Spyglass together, that keeps Spyglass from devolving into the tragedy of the commons or from turning upon each other in search of profit. Well, that, that's seeing, and we'll definitely be exploring that a lot next episode, I think, when we talk about spy, Spyglass communities. But Sing is it's a measure of, of kind of participation, of community support, of what you do for your neighbors, and how kind of you uphold Spyglass's values on some level, and how responsible you are to the community. Uh, and not only is it something that you can judge your next door neighbor by, but it's something that your megastructure town can judge the next megastructure town by. People hold each other responsible. People hold Spyglass and Spyglass's subsidiaries responsible based on this social currency. And that's where I really don't think it flies for me because ultimately groupthink is very strong. And does anybody really care that much what the next megastructure over is doing? Probably not. Not to the point where they'd worry too much about what's going on inside of its walls. And I mean, maybe some of that is, well, yes, but it cheapens Spyglass's name. But I have a hard time believing that, looking at, at kind of general isolationist tendencies that humans have. Yeah, that's a maybe. And I believe we will touch on that a lot more in the next episode. But I, I think the comparisons, present day at least, is there's, there have been explorations around corporatism and corporate structure that do not stand upon the single, single pillar of Stakeholder profits, shareholder profits. We're talking about B Corps, aren't we? No, not necessarily. Talking more about, I think, Green Corps 
and then there's another one that I can't think of off the top of my head. Public but, Good Corporations. Yeah. But it, it Kickstarter. Sure. But they're looking very much at okay, if you distill everything in a corporation down to a single line of is it profitable or not, then a lot of the externals, is it moral, is it ethical, have no intrins- intrinsic value by pure cash. Yeah. And so they become externals. They become someone else's problem. They become a debt upon right. society or the it, taxpayer or the general public. If you agree to be on the board of ASR or Marsco, good luck with that, your, your only measuring bar is, is financial profit. Right, right. Uh, whereas a B Corp has multiple bottom lines. Um, is it B Corp or C Corp? I don't remember which. I think a B Corp. So for like the Metropolitan Transit Authority of New York, which might be a B Corp or a Public Works Corporation, one of their bottom lines is are they serving people? Kickstarter has the bottom line of, you know, are we contributing to the development of communal culture and art and things like that? Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking of. I just didn't connect it with the name. So looking at kind of roles in your game as opposed to society, uh, Spyglass is it's kind of big brother in terms of being everywhere and watching everything. There's always the looming threat of Spyglass or Spyglass's agents being there to kind of break your secrets and, and, and was it break a story. That's what it's called. Uh, and Marsco is really more big brother. They're just everywhere. But Marsco is everywhere and just doesn't care. It's like Google knows an awful lot about me that I wouldn't my mother, wouldn't my mother to know, but they're not going to do anything with it, I hope. Knock, <laughs> knock on wood. Whereas Spyglass is a little more intimate and is a little more in favor of sharing that for a profit. And that's kind of one of the things that they, they intentionally spread fear about is that they are, not only are they watching you, they're watching you and they're going to do something with that information. So it depends a little bit on you know where the power level is of your PCs, of your party. If you're basically running around with a fairly smaller group that's maybe a tiny corporation taking contracts and not really being power brokers, you don't really need a huge spyglass presence. They don't add too much. You can get away with distilling that into one or two individuals. And that fulfills kind of spyglass better because if you're working with one or two interesting individuals within spyglass, that gives you a really good cross-section of what spyglass might be. Yeah. Whereas if you go back to Marsco, from a game flavor perspective, you might not want to make very interesting NPCs. Or you might want to have the same type of, I don't know, resource clerk or contract assignment, whatever role that you're fulfilling might be a different vector each time. And all of them are kind of smile and forget, very generic, very generic because it's Marsco and they've got millions of other people doing that same role and you your chances of getting the same ones each time just aren't very high. It's flavor of the two different megacorps. Yeah, Spyglass tends to interact with individuals only when they're pretty darn powerful. So they aren't necessarily going to sell your internet secrets. There's just not a lot of money in it. But if your party's mini corporation has gotten to the point where they're starting to make waves, where where mid-tier managers in the lower echelons of the megacorp might start, other megacorps might start noticing them, that's when Spyglass might take an interest because at that point your secrets become something worth sharing even on an individual level. Especially if your PCs have not always been on the up and up, shall we say. If they've been doing anything that qualifies as a good secret, Spyglass might very well be interested. Right. One joke I think they make in, um, in the Sound and Silence is that Spyglass encourages young and stupid behavior because they can record that for later. (laughs) (laughs) The other useful aspect of Spyglass is Spyglass is much more likely to be 
it's going to have a very different feel to the encounter. Whereas most other mega corporations might have um, internal toughs or a group of you know internal corp soldiers or a group of mercenaries to kind of do a very symmetrical force opposition type encounter. Spyglass is not going to do that. They're going to be very asymmetrical. You might have one operative that's going to hit them while they're off doing something else. You might have one operative that's pillaging their ship or their home base uh, while they're off doing another mission. And then you have a very different feel to the encounter and to the scenario, whether this is trying to track down someone who specializes in not being tracked down or diving into spyglass and starting to try to play the spy games and the confidence games to get information about who that might have been or where your information is. As a group that deals in information, I think they might make a tempting uh, place to sell your what you find. To uh, If you've been digging up dirt yourself, you can pass that on. But I feel like that's just going to cause frustration for the players long-term because Spyglass is happy to buy information off of people. They contract a lot of individuals to do that sort of thing. That's kind of a major part of their business model. But they don't necessarily do anything with it because usually they just hold on to things forever. So if you found the big dirt and you went to spread it around, Spyglass is not necessarily the place to go. Um, the timetable they use to dispense that information could be generational. But they are very transactional. If, if the party needs the big dirt or needs an inn into somewhere, if the party can find some other secrets, they can often trade that a lot easier with True. Spyglass. Okay. True, there's two parts, to the side, two parts of the deal. Yeah, that, that makes sense. There's kind of two, two sides of the transaction. Uh, the, the short story at the beginning of Sound and Silence shows another role that Spyglass has, which is kind of the stranger in the strange land. They are so far removed from standard corporation top-down models and hierarchies that uh, they create some really weird alien citizens that don't fit in because they are used to ruling themselves, or they believe they're used to ruling themselves, or they're used to a narco-syndicalist commune. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but being a, being a Spyglass citizen is is very close to being in a grotto in some ways, or it can be, because every community structures itself uniquely and based on their own needs with little or no outside input. You could be a totally unused to the structure of the buildings on each side of you if you're in a little enclave in the middle of town. Right. Well, very much along that, at many levels, the structure of Spyglass looks like pure anarchy. Whereas if you're looking at some of the other mega corporations, you're seeing the top-down organization, the managers, the middle managers, the sub-middle managers, the vice sub-middle man, blah, blah, and so on all the way down. When you look at Byglass, Corp Town, or organization, it lacks most, if not all of that. It's not until you really start zooming in and, again, start getting down to some of the personal levels where you can see some of the individuals that the organization starts to come back to light. Yeah, it seems like Spyglass is to anarchy what the U.S. US is to capitalism. It it resembles it, but there's enough top-down control to prevent things from becoming bloody. It's more enlightened anarchism, libertarianism. There are rules. They're just subtly enforced. Um, They don't want to become... uh, They don't want to lose their citizens that they have because those are sources of revenue. They don't want to create places where people are deeply uncomfortable because they'll leave. And they do have some element of the good life, whatever that is. And it's a little bit naive, idealistic, to think that you could pull through something like that. As with any system of government, it works just fine until you put people into it. Mm -hmm. I think kind of that top-down organization that you were talking about 
is the social currency. That social currency is what keeps people a little bit more on the noble individual or the call it the good man in the field of anarchy. Yeah. And we do have the benefit of being in a fictional world here. Um, I don't really, as optimistic as I am, I don't believe in enlightened anarchy. I don't believe that these structures last very long, not because people won't have ethics, but because it just, it's hard to maintain that against the tragedy of the commons and things like that. But well, this is a fiction, and that's great. It means we can believe in these things, at least yeah. to the point of having valuable and useful player character tools. Similar to one of the earlier complaints, it works just fine as long as everyone's on board and engaged. If you have a couple of bad apples, you can very quickly spoil the batch, whether it's bad apples simply through ill will, discontent, or not agreeing with your neighbor's brand of anarchy, or bad apples that are paid false flag other corporations that are in causing trouble. Sure, when everything's working, it works great, but you find most of the structure in a society starts getting put in and reinforced and built to protect against external threats, mm-hmm. internal or external threats. And in the absence of said threats, sure, everybody can live a happy anarchist life. But when you start pushing threats in, then maybe not so much. So let's talk uh, alternate readings and conspiracies. And that's hard because basically Spyglass is the alternate reading of the entire universe of soul. Um, first off, let's look at the Shadow President, uh, which right now is Elsie the Kid Troida. Troida? Uh, yeah, you're looking at me with that kind of wrinkledy brow expression. Elsie is the little kid in the color text in Core Extended where she finds the big bad monster and right, learns right. about the death of her parents and things like that and just kind of gives us a big, fairly well-rationed-out uh, info dump about what society looks like from the inside and the outside. Spyglass chooses its shadow presidents based on people that are in a good place to find a lever and pull it to get a lot of good information or to do something strong to the corporation. They have powerful assets that let them uncover things. Their previous active shadow president was Kanai Troida, uh, the father in that scenario, who is dead now. And his powers were passed patrilinearly, I guess, to his daughter, uh, because that's how the shadow presidency seems to work a lot. It is passed down to either the person that murdered you or your kids. I don't really understand that. Um, you keep what you kill. Yes. So if you kill your parents, you're guaranteed to become the shadow president, is what I've learned. Now, Elsie does not know that she has all these powers yet. At some point in time, she's going to be in a position where she can pull a lever, and there will be a lot of assets at her disposal when she pulls that lever. Her role in the book is kind of young investigator, and she always seems to have some very heavy things swarming around her in all of her scenes. One of them is uh, full control of Spyglass's assets. Should she choose to use it, and should she be made aware of that? So it is possible not to know you're the shadow president of Spyglass. She was the... uh Aardvark. Troubled child, right? She had, she had like transcendent issues <laughs> and murder. Not hers, but like her parents. And she was being followed by a pale man and et cetera, et cetera. She's a weirdness magnet for in every way. Actually, Marsco will let you not know that you're the shadow president as well. They'll just kind of bless you with that if you're doing good stuff sometimes. So you, maybe you could be a Marsco and spyglass shadow president at the same time and not know it that would be a lot of absent-minded power in one go well how many conspiracies have you just brought to the fore i just two I right mean, there first off 
There is no survival class. It's just Marsco's control arm. Oh, oh, actually, that was my next one, sort of. But yeah, pretty much. Second off, they're all under control of the transcendence in some way or another. Uh, maybe, but then the universe would explode. <laughs> so my their secretly Marsco tie-in is that Spyglass may actually be one of the oldest corporations because they were the group that broke some of the anti-vector secrets that Marsco had on day 30 or so. That the people that became Spyglass proper actually helped restore Marsco to vector control by funneling secrets, by funneling people, by funneling resources, by preventing the human takeover of society and undermining them by spreading what they were truly about. A lot of the ways that humanity's secrets would have been leaked kind of feel like spyglass methodology, and we don't really have a sense for how that information was disseminated back then. So maybe in a... Marsco methodology. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) (laughs) So in a conspiratorial reading, that group might be the ancestors of Spyglass, and that might be why Spyglass was able to launch itself so successfully into the new world, new century, even when nobody thought that they were necessary because they they were deeply necessary and Mars Co. to make great allegiance well, and a small town on Venus. You can run the, all the way back there with the line of Spyglass makes the moves that Mars Co. can't. So even from the beginning, if popular support was still with kind of the human or the human arm or the corporation, and Marsco is a little bit of the underdog there. If Marsco had spilled all those secrets, then they potentially would have been the enemy and have be opening themselves up to being crushed under public sentiment or what have you. But if a third party breaks in, finds all those secrets and releases them, then suddenly that underdog is the the victim in all of this. And everyone can flock to the victim and fight against the evil oppressor and suddenly Marsco is coming out on top. You can follow that into a lot of other force projection. Um, asymmetrical, I believe I used earlier. If Marsco at some level kind of knew that genotype was falling off of the straight and narrow, Marsco is too big to give them a gentle nudge back. Marsco, at that point to start enforcing a change of behavior or enforcing a change of leadership or what have you, or just enforcing a certain amount of moral ethicalness onto another corporation becomes almost a war, whether it's an economic war or a hot war. Marsco has many powers, but they, they all are very escalatory. Yeah, they don't like being the bad guy for sure. They would rather do nothing than make people make themselves look bad, but Spyglass is the ultimate bad guy. It, Right. But if you have some other ultimate bad guy that goes in and gets all the secrets and shows the world that these guys are going horrible, then Marsco is now the good guys in all this. They're going in to right the wrong that everyone, everybody else already sees the wrong and is clamoring for someone to come fix it instead of Marsco being the aggressor. So one other kind of conspiracy version of Spyglass would be Spyglass as University. Now, University has a fairly specific meaning in HSD, and it's not a good one. Uh, It's more like cult or dangerous survivalist cult or weird mutant technology from the far future uh, infecting reality cult. Spyglass, I feel like a major aspect of it is kind of the philosophers with guns sort of thing. They've got people that are espousing libertarian virtue and have some fairly deep understanding of organizational structure and what communities are built on that sort of thing. So 
I'm thinking sociologists with zap guns sort of thing, they are ultimately not so much an intelligence agency or gadget-happy spies, but they're a university set on unraveling vector society by chipping away at the ideology of benevolent corporations. And really, we are in a utopia, but Spyglass wants us to believe it's a dystopia, and that's what they're spreading to weaken vector society and turn it to some mad place where they will pick up the pieces 500 years down the road. And uh, hear me out. This is, an, this is a very alternate fringe reading. Um, but uh, now we're in a time when about half the mega corporations are going to war. And it would be a really good time for uh, someone to kind of drop their costume and show that they're actually uh, one of the masterminds behind this madness. It's a stretch, but I think the parts could conceivably be there because we don't know what's behind their veils. The man behind the curtain never comes out of the curtain until everything else is on fire. Right, right, right. You're not buying that one. I can see that. I'm not not buying that one. <laughs> well played, Because sir. there's a certain amount of perspective relativism, maybe. They could see themselves as being the one true society and the, the right way that should be doing, or that everything should be done. And burning down all the other mega corporations is fully justified because it brings people into spyglass or into the right path, the right way, enlightening them. I think it's a bit of a stretch. Yeah, well, that's kind of the point. But I would not doubt for a moment that there are quite a few organizations within spyglass, quite a few communities within spyglass that have that as their implicit or expressed goal. Yeah, today. the fight clubs. <laughs> I'd just like to say... Does anyone really think that Willy Wonka ended up in charge of that organization because of the economic success of his edible factories? <laughs> there comes a time in each man's life when he can't even believe his own eyes. Well, after your description, I don't think I'd want to see it either. On that note, <laughs> uh, let's... Let's skip ahead to uh, what the host thought was awesome this week. And uh, if anybody has brought any press clippings from the world of science fiction, zoology, furry fandom, etc., maybe they want to share them now. Sure. Although it's not necessarily anything that's breaking news, but um, it is very relevant to Spyglass and the concept of squatting on other people's infrastructure. There's two different stories that have come out more or less recently. Uh, first off, the seasteaders. So they were off the coast of Thailand, outside of the maritime control zone. So in actual, like, international waters. Uh-huh. Some old oil platforms or just large posts that were sunk into the sea, seabed. And they more or less just started building a house on top of it and named it Sealandia or something. Seasteaders, okay. Seasteaders, yes. And basically it was a free nation state type thing because, you know, quote unquote, international waters, no nation has claimed to this area and there wasn't any land to be claimed previously. They just kind of built it. Unsurprisingly, the, the nearby government took offense to this. And even though it wasn't technically in their territorial waters, they had much larger guns and ships and quickly quelled that particular little rebellion. Well, maybe not quickly because it's been Five years, maybe. Okay. But so there's a certain bit of a problem with living on other people's infrastructure, especially as a small, loosely organized and 
semi-hostile force. Parasite state sort of thing. Right. Or at least hostile to like the safety and civility of Pulse or Progenitus. At, at a moment's notice, they definitely have the force projection to go, okay, move along. Well, and it's not necessarily that any you know small village is necessarily going to overthrow a nation by threat of force, but simply that you can move off the grid and be non-taxable, or at least try for it. You can try for that, but that brings me right into the other half of um, what I was going to talk about, which is much more recent. So there's been some ugliness in the States lately, and a lot of that has started to bring some attention onto, I believe, 8chan, some of the other message boards, oh, yeah. where hate kind of... So very lawless, very ruleless, where people kind of accumulate anonymously individuals, kind of an internal social credit. Putting very, the, very slimmer. Putting the law in lawlessness. Yeah. I'm going to say lull. It didn't. Sorry. <laughs> Go on. No, I, no, it was, yeah. But what they quickly, what they found out recently is that just being an anonymous presence on someone else's infrastructure uh, can go bad when the people who provide that infrastructure go, yeah, we don't want anything to do with you, and kick you off. So 8chan was basically kicked off by Cloudflare, and they moved over to a different hosting um, provide, hosting-ish, and they got kicked off of that, or actually the company that one or two steps above just shut down the entire place that they were on. And this kind of reflects a lot with Spyglass, both because Spyglass has that kind of half forums and half anarchist level. If they don't have corp towns, they are definitely at the mercy of being kicked out of the existing infrastructure or being chased out of the existing infrastructure. And you can't always predict the level of backlash from whatever might have sparked it. Yeah, uh, part of what I, I thought was fascinating about that is the amount of power that just companies provide protection from DDoS, cyber attacks, that those companies can, if, yeah, if, if they pull out, make it very hard to exist on the internet. That's pretty crazy stuff. Well, there's a line from one of those articles that said, you know, we all think about cloud hosting and cloud everything and moving to the cloud these days, but at the end of the day, you're on a server and somebody owns it. Mm -hmm. So on a much less useful note, <laughs> Event Horizon, the Amazon TV series. I don't know if anybody actually cares. Uh, I liked Event Horizon an awful lot. It's a Lovecrafting horror in space film. That was a long time ago, and sometimes I feel like nobody agrees with me that it was a good film. It wasn't a bad film. The last time I saw anything about it, I was in Best Buy, and there were some used or old copies of it. Each one was being sold with a Salisbury steak coupon, which was either brilliant, <laughs> brilliant cross-marketing or very bad cross-marketing. I do not know which. The, the problem with it is, you know, there's, there's just a certain point that we just can't see past. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm. <laughs> I see what you did there. Anyway, so yeah, Amazon is bringing this into an ongoing series. I have no more information than that, but it's kind of interesting. Uh, ScienceFiction.com has a short article on that. Very short. Could be interesting. Could be grim. Also true. And at this point, I guess we will uh, head off to Spyglass Town. So until we get to that point, catch you outro line. Intro music is Future Club and outro music is Chronicles, both by Sirius Beat. 
This podcast is copyright 2017 by Radio Free Demos and may be used in any not-for-profit project with appropriate credit and notification. Check out our website, RadioFreeDemos.com, that's D-E-I-M-O-S, for more rambling, resources, links to official and fan-driven content, and our full catalog of episodes. And look for us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play.